We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, this is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Prize Picks. Coming at you live here at Falling Knife Brewing Company. It's, yes, make some noise so people listening at home feel bad. I got Britt Robson here with me. Uh, how are we doing, Britt? I'm well. You're well, you're well. Um, so I got a handful of different things we'll, we'll talk about tonight. Um, we're also, we have a... Third mic right here that uh, we'll, we'll take questions, probably do like half the time doing that. So you guys can choose uh, what it is that we talk about uh, tonight. Uh, but Britt, I think I want to just start by sort of recognizing where we're at, uh, at the All-Star break. And I thought you did a good job of hitting on that in your column last week, just sort of about enjoying the ride and uh, enjoying where this team is compared, obviously compared to other seasons. I think I do a bad job of that sometimes. And uh, you've been here for all 35 of them. Um, and I thought it was interesting in your piece, kind of referencing the Christian Leitner teams of the nineties or like the Mike Miller and Randy Foy teams of the early 2010s. Uh, every name brings the dysfunction. To yes. Mind. I was going to get to the good ones. Uh, Kevin Garnett won the MVP. I don't know if you know that, uh, 2003, 2004. But what, what you said in that piece was this is as good as that. And I mean, the record kind of reflects that, but I think it feels as good as that. And that's not just in the fan base or from where we sit, but, but kind of from what you are feeling and seeing, in the vibe of the team, how would you just compare this season, 2023-24, to 2003-2004, the only other time this team was actually good? Well, there's, you know, the most obvious similarity is that you figured that the Wolves would be good, but you had no idea they would be this good. Uh, in 3 4 they hadn't gotten out of the first round in six straight playoffs. Um, and... There was actually back then disgruntlement among the fan base that this team only made it to the playoffs and never went further. Um, you know, those were the days. But uh, I think that, 
you know, you had KG, you had uh, Spree and uh, Sammy, their first seasons on the team. And you had this kind of like joint recognition that, hey, you know, everybody here is really good. We click well together. You know, all the things of a really good winning team. You had uh, Fred Hoiberg, just fantastic off the bench. Wally Zerbrack was hurt, which, you know, gave Hoiberg a little more room to be like the designated sixth scorer. Irvin Johnson and Michael Olacandy, they started with Candy, who was, speaking of dysfunction, kind of a, never a guy who really cared that much about basketball. I did enjoy his Che Guevara t-shirt, but he wasn't nearly as good a, a player as that t-shirt might think he might be. So, but I, 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 Irvin Johnson was like the consummate pro and a guy who held the team together really well. Trenton Hassel was a revelation, a lot like Nah is this year, only with more minutes. Uh, a defensive guy, a guy who would kind of unheralded, who was playing really well. But I think one of the reasons I wrote what I wrote last week is that um, I have seen all the teams that they've had, and there have been two like tsunamis of hope, and one was the KG uh, spree. I mean, if you if you don't count the Gugliata KG Marbury, which was kind of stillborn, but if 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 you think about um, what happened in 03, 04, good joke. Uh, that was there, and and so and then then the next one was Jimmy, and you know Jimmy with Tibbs and Cat and Wiggins, um, and you know whatever you think of Jimmy Butler, he was a fantastic player who really elevated this team in many, many ways. But dysfunction. Like Rudy, right? Huh? Like, kind of like Rudy. Yeah. I don't think we ever make, really make that yeah. comparison. I mean, he had the ability to get to the line like better than anybody I've seen that was kind of doing it semi-honestly, unlike Embiid or you know, somebody. But essentially, my point is, to, to get around to it finally, is that the 0304 team and the Tibbs-Jimmy team both exploded in a firebomb of dysfunction. Uh, Spree wanted more money in his contract. Sammy, as usual, had signed a contract that was low-balled, and he just never could resist getting the instant money and then regretted it. It was not the first time that happened to him in his career. And so there was this dysfunction happening, and then everybody knows kind of about what happened with Jimmy. You know, we have a Timberwolves team now, and they could flame out in the first round and all the equation could change. But we don't know that right now. What we do know, and bef- this is subsequent to my writing the column, Mike Conley signed a h- incredible hometown discount to stay here for two more years. <laughs> Rudy Gobert is locked up for another two years, had a year where he was not himself at all, and then a year he was much better than himself. Um, you have the components. You have three guys, Nas, uh, Jade McDaniels, and Ant, who are all getting their first fat contracts and are all blooming before our eyes. And so you have, I think, for the first time in Timberwolves history, the idea of a sustained winner. The Wolves did not make the playoffs the year after 03-04. Flip Saunders resigned. Um, The year after Jimmy Butler 
and Tibbs made the playoffs. Jimmy Butler wanted to be traded in September of that year, and Tibbs was gone before the end of that next year. I am very confident that Chris Finch will be here a year from now, and I'm very confident that this team will not fail to make the playoffs in 24-25. The point being is that this is the most firmly built, reliable group of players, in my opinion, that the Timberwolves have ever had. And when that thought occurred to me, I thought, why haven't I been writing about this? Well, the answer was because they gave us all kinds of reasons to doubt them. You know, the Charlotte game was like this incredible kindergarten fest. And there were a lot of fourth quarter collapses. And, you know, you, you, you get into like the Stockholm syndrome idea that, you know, they're going to screw up again. But they've had 55 games. They have not lost more than two games in a row thus far. There's only one other Timberwolves team that's done that. That was 03, 04. Um, so long-winded answer. The point being that if you're not optimistic about the Minnesota Timberwolves now, you are missing a fantastic window to be happy. <laughs> I would take it. The people's champ, Britt Robson. There you go. Um, I think what's turned for me a lot in the last three weeks, month, or up to the All-Star break is the one nagging thing that led you to believe a game could have a fourth quarter, you know, fallout or, you know, just kind of let this team crumble a little bit is the offense. It has consistently not been the offense of a number one seed or a top team in, in the league. And what we have happening over these last two, three weeks, I mean, they're nine and three since the kindergarten Charlotte game. Right. And they're, I think they're 11th in offense since then. And if you just break it down to the last two, three weeks, it's like fourth. And that, I, I struggled with that a lot at the beginning of the season. Am I like, okay, have I only covered bad teams? Do I only know how to talk about what isn't working? And, and I had to like check myself on that some. But something actually wasn't working for right. the for even when they were winning a lot was they did not have a strong and effective offensive team. So much of that has to do with the way in which they were playing offense and what they weren't doing. And and you you said it's you know what what happened and is this sustainable? Right. And and what what about these last three weeks, which I'm I'm getting close to, um, makes you believe that the offense can be sustainable for the rest of the season at this. Well, point. two things. I mean, we've all seen enough bad offense and we know, I mean, if Ryan Gomes is the best guy in your team, you probably don't have a good offense. True. They sent two guys to the all-star game this year who are known for their offense much more than they're known for their defense. Anthony Edwards can play excellent defense when he feels like it, and he feels like it a lot more nowadays, but he is still not known for his defense. He's known for his offense. Carl Anthony Towns obviously is known for his offense. So you have two guys among the 12 to 15 or whatever that get picked in the entire league that are offensive players. So you're going to have, you also have a pick and roll team that each one of them 
at various points in the season, Conley and Gobert have had true shooting percentages over 60%. I think they may still. I know Gobert's is. I don't know about Conley. I think and I imagine it is. But the bottom line is you have Ant, Cat, two offensive guys who are in the Hall of, uh, in the Hall of Fame, in the All-Star all game for their offense. And then you have a pick-and-roll team that is elite at what they do. So then you say, well, why aren't they executing or playing well? And anybody who watches even rudimentary basketball knows why, because they were playing incredibly stupidly. Their two biggest scorers would drive into triple teams and turn the ball over and play really, really selfish iso ball and turn the ball over a lot. And then this young team would begin to press on itself and get into a lot of old bad habits. And the fact, again, that they've only lost two games in a row this year shows you what a phenomenal defense they have. It's a make-or-miss league, and I will tell you, if you can make people miss in the NBA in 23-24, you will have a huge ace in the hole. So they had that. Now, finally, I mean, Chris Finch, I can't, I, his self-control on this, you know, I, I've always liked the guy. I, I really think that his ability to just soldier through all these collapses when everybody was ripping him and you knew what he wanted from these people. And he said it over and over again. And Ant in particular wasn't giving it to him and, and Kat wasn't giving it to him. And slow-mo was in the, in the weeds with his various offensive problems. Um, now for the last two weeks, three weeks, you have what the roster would indicate you should have. You have a, a great finisher at the rim and a great guy who can get putbacks. You have a 45% three-point shooter who's great on the pick and roll and can step back on that high pick and roll and hit the three. And you have two players, Cats, a matchup nightmare all over the court. And Ant can score over triple teams when he needs to, but is even more effective getting off the ball with quick decisions and then getting back on the ball if it comes back to him. But you have the ingredients here. If, if not an elite offense, you have the ingredients of a top 10 to top 12 offense. And you have, obviously, the ingredients of a number one defense because that's what they've been for this entire season. So um, I agree that that was the, 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 the slipping point was why are they continuing to play so stupidly and why can't Finch get through to them? Um, and suddenly, he's gotten through to them. They're playing better. I asked Finch at practice just like three hours ago, "Is what's the most sustainable part of this offense moving forward? And he said, well, hopefully, it is that we won't turn the ball over as much. They've got Monte Morris now, who is, a like Mike Conley, very good at not turning the ball over. And I hope that Ant and Cat have realized that baiting refs and driving into triple teams and being much more concerned about if they hear a whistle rather than where the ball is as it leaves his hand, those are the things that will make this team become better than solid. They're always going to be solid this season because of their defense, but they can be something somewhat special if they have an offense 
that lives up to the talent base that they have. I think the, and I don't even know if there's a way to, to answer this, but the, the cynical view, right, is that the, the playoffs will feel a lot like fourth quarters offensively for this team where they have broadly not been good these last few weeks <clears throat> withstanding. And then you go to the defensive side of the ball and you go, okay, well, everyone plays better defense in the playoffs. So how much of a, even if you are the best defensive team in the playoffs, how much like buoyancy does, does that defense give you? And I still think they will be a great defensive team. I don't have the Rudy in space concerns or whatever, but, what what do you think about that from the standpoint of how much quote unquote worse or depressed will the defense be and how much more will the offense have to sort of, you know, navigate situations and like they are going to teams in the playoffs are going to intentionally try to put ant in cat in those situations where they're more likely to make those, you know, quote unquote bad not quote unquote real bad decisions that lead to more turnovers. What I don't have an answer for that. And and maybe the answer just is we have to see what it looks like in the playoffs. That's the obvious answer. I mean, it is guesswork. What we what what evidence do we have one way or the other? The playoffs are a different beast. And um Gobert has been embarrassed in the playoffs with inferior personnel that didn't compliment him on defense as well as this team does. Um, but we also know we've seen Gobert. If there is any weakness in Gobert's game at all this year, is that he begins to get a little frustrated when it begins to slip away from him in the fourth quarter, gets a little more foul prone, gets a little more agitated, gets outside himself a little bit too much. Um, Cat's renowned for having playoff, uh, seesaw, you know, up, down, up, down. Um, we don't know. Uh, and we, what we have seen from Ant in the playoffs has been nothing but golden, pretty much. Um, but the, to your point, um, is having the first seed or the third seed or whatever it is, um, and people in, around the league thinking they're pretenders, is that something that gets in their heads because of their past experience? We don't know. Uh, what I can tell you is that I don't think Kyle Anderson and Mike Conley will be upset about it. And I think Ant will get better. That's his history. Um, I think that they have four months of pretty solid success behind them. And the range of teams that they're going to play or possibly going to play the Warriors, the Lakers, the Pelicans, the Kings, those four teams all have just phenomenally different scenarios. Uh, Steph Curry coming back to try to do it one more time. Draymond Green proving his doubters wrong or whatever. LeBron and AD proving that regular season doesn't matter. Zion, who the Wolves haven't had a matchup for. The Kings, who have a, a system that really works against what the Wolves do best. But the Wolves are, they have the best record in the Western Conference for a reason. And you could say, and I had just got through saying the playoffs are a different beast. 
it is a repeatable thing. You do look at matchups and how to do things. I think I would be shocked if this team won the NBA championship. I would be very pleasantly surprised if they were in the NBA finals. I think they'll win a first round series. And I think I want to see who the matchup is in the second round. But that should not detract from what we've seen. Um, we started this ride at the end of October. Right now, it is nearing the end of February. And the Wolves have been almost consistently an enjoyable experience. If you're at all familiar with the Minnesota Timberwolves and you're looking for the uh, lead linings as opposed to the silver linings on this season, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, I mean, it remains to be seen. Playoffs are guesswork. They haven't been there to this extent. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know they have some really intriguing pieces. And I know that playoff experience for Ant, Jaden, and Nas is nothing but good for this team moving forward. And that if Gobert gets the kind of support he never had in the other playoff series, he's playing in a zone right now in terms of his defense that he's going to be a force that other teams are not going to recognize in the playoffs because he's out for vengeance himself. So I like their chances, if only because they have chances. And that's a new thing. Right. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks, where you can use the promo code DANE for a $100 sign-up bonus. And they have second half of the season picks up at Prize Picks. How many 30-point games will Anthony Edwards have for the rest of the season? More or less than nine and a half. Will Cat have a 40-point game? Maybe take that one. Rudy Gobert, more or less than 17 and a half double doubles for the rest of the season. Can Gobert get 18 double doubles in the final 27 games? He's played in 54 games so far this season, had a double double in 38 of those. So I, I might take that one too. He's had a handful of games thus far this season where he's had nine points and double digit rebounds too. So yeah, I think I like that one the best. Anyways, you can take a look at all of the Wolves picks and others around the league at prizepicks.com or on the prize picks app. Again, use the promo code Dane for a $100 signup bonus. It's, it's interesting with the, I, I've done a lot the like, Oh, what team is a good matchup or a bad matchup for, for a playoff series. And I think what I've just got to is it's probably just going to be an awesome first round series, no matter what. And that same is true for whoever the thunder play and the Clippers play. I mean, we are, it is one of those seasons where, I think even the one seed and probably whoever winds up being the eight isn't going to be easy for, for that team, or they will at least present, you know, challenges again, not just to the wolves, but to the thunder or to, to the Clippers or nuggets as well. So I, I've kind of shifted away from a little bit more of how do they guard Zion or what's the, you know, if they're going to spread them out, if it's the warriors or the Kings into just, I think it's important to keep a confidence in the idea that you are the best regular season team in the Western conference. And to me, that might carry as much weight belief might carry as much weight as the way in which you do or don't match up 
with uh with a different opponent and i think to really like cement that belief it is kind of about these final 27 games because there you know there's a world where if they are closer to 500 for some reason right. injury or otherwise where you do not have that cemented belief and you get to that 1-8 or 2-7 or 3-6 game in, or matchup and 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 I feel like that could hold them back. I, I do put a lot of importance in these final 27 games of the regular season. What what are you looking for to sustain or grow towards the, I guess, the final quarter, third or whatever of the season? Well, I want to see consistency in the offense. Um, you know, they've been between 15th and 20th almost this entire season until the last couple of weeks. Um, they're young. Uh, so their attention spans are not indefinite. And so I think that two or three good games, can they do a third and fourth and fifth good game? Um, their defense is led by a very mature individual who is extremely good at what he does in Gobert. And then there are a lot of perimeter guys who can suffocate you. So I don't worry about the defense. Um, I think that what you're talking about, if you do have to cement confidence in the team, it will come from and trust his teammates and it works. Right. Um, if, yeah, Ant- I mean, that's the thing is if they, you know, in these final 27 games, we look back at the post all-star split and I see the wolves are fifth in offense in that time, even I'll take twelfth. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just or whatever seventh. Yeah, like me personally, I am going to have a lot more confidence in not only just winning a first round series, but playing the bracket out a little bit more and believing or picking if I had to the Wolves over another team. I guess this right. is another way of saying if the offense is good, I'm going to like them more. But I do kind of think that this is where they're at now. They can still if they are a mediocre offense. I still do. It's not like they can't win the first round series. It's not like they can't win a second round series. But we have seen Chris Finch-led teams really turn a corner offensively into being something substantially better than they are in the second half of the season. And if that happens right now, then if, if I have that in my pocket going into looking at a playoff series... I'm going to do a lot less of like, oh, you know, like the Kings are going to make Carl run around or who's going to guard Zion or that, that sort of stuff like that. It's kind of that simple to me is it doesn't need to be exactly what it was these last two or three weeks before the break. But if it feels closer to that, then it does feel closer to the first four months of the season. Then, yeah, that that to me really opens up a realistic and logical belief that this team uh, has has a run in them. I, we we do have a, a third microphone here. We'll we'll take uh we'll take questions here, Britt. I'll just kind of to buy time. I'll just yep. you you mentioned the the Mike Conley deal. Just you and I haven't. But I do want to get into this other yeah. thing in response to that, which is there are some things that are beyond the Timberwolves' control here. Um, sure. In particular, there's the whole pedigree argument. There's the argument that when the playoffs hit. LeBron, AD on one side, Steph, Draymond on the other side or whatever. Choose your 
you know, ring bearing guy. Which is what every ESPN person will be talking about when the time comes. And because it's, why it's they the will easy pick. narrative. Right. It, but it also is. How true is it? Well, that's the question. The cool thing about legacy people, I mean, Bill Belichick's legacy was pretty fucking solid until about two years ago. I mean, you know, the thing about legacies is when they go, they're gone, you know. And um, LeBron, if you look at, yeah, they made the NBA finals last year or conference conference finals. um, It still felt hollow to me. I don't don't respect the Lakers. Um, I think that pedigree is, you know, not... I mean, you know, it's I I think that Steph Curry has this type of confidence. You know, Steph Curry can get you fifty-six points in a night because he's feeling it, and you're playing extremely well, and you lose. Um, LeBron can be playing incredibly well, but doesn't have that kind of bomb you into submission capability. So, which is all to say, back to my original point, the Timberwolves could have a really good postseason in terms of the fact that they are playing extremely well and run into exactly that kind of narrative where the people who are saying, don't sleep on the Warriors, don't sleep on the Lakers, or I would say, don't sleep on the Pelicans. Um, there are teams that can just be ready for the moment, even though you're ready for the moment, they're ready for the moment a little bit more. And all of a sudden that becomes you're a choker all of a sudden instead of you ran into some bad luck. And that happens, you know. Somebody will probably ask about Mike Conley. We'll, we'll get to that. We, we have uh, somebody to ask a question right here. If anybody wants to just, I don't know if we need a line or anything, but you can just kind of come up and ask a question if you like. But we'll open it up. Oh, oh let me turn that up. Yep. There, there we go. go. Um, yeah. So you guys were just getting into the ESPN talking heads, t- picking against the Wolves in a potential playoff series due to either Rudy Gobert spacing issues that you don't buy into much or legacy of Steph Curry or LeBron James, these teams that could be lower seeds facing the Wolves in the first round. But I'm really interested, where do you guys stand on that? I know, Dane, you are talking about if the Wolves are seventh in offense, I'll have a lot more faith in their ability to go deep. What, what do you expect? The, the Wolves to be looking like going into the playoffs and how much faith do you currently have in the Wolves going deep in the playoffs? Because at least from my perspective, I I, I also don't buy into the Gobert defensive problems in the playoffs. The Cat stuff is still a little bit worrying. It seems like he does kind of press in those sort of environments, though. Um, even in, I think, Dane, you pointed this out in the podcast in the past, Denver's Cat was still their main focus. That's who they put Gordon on, not Ant. That could definitely be different this time around with Ant Star rising the way it is. And the playoffs always do seem to be this half-court environment, and I can think of very few teams in the NBA that thrive more in a slow, grinded-out, half-court sort of game than the Minnesota Timberwolves' number one defense. And I know Rudy has told you guys earlier in the season, you're like, hey, why aren't you running more of this Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, high pick and roll? It seems to be really effective. And Rudy's like, well, it's kind of boring for other people, and we know we've got it when we need it don't we expect to see a lot more of that in the playoffs? And I guess with those things in mind, as two people who watch the Timberwolves all the time, unlike the ESPN people, where are you on your faith in the team moving in? Yeah, I I think, 
you mentioned Carl and I, I think about it less so from the like mental element of it, just because I don't know how to quantify that. Like we, we we've seen that like, yeah, there's a volatility to Carl's emotional state and how that impact impacts his play. And that might show up again. Um, but I think about it more from the sense of, I think that's what teams are going to go at. And, and it's not because they think Carl is mentally fragile. I think they're going to go at it because that's probably the best matchup to go at. And that makes sense to me. That's what I would do. If I was coaching against them, you want as much as the ESPN people talk about putting Rudy in space and forcing him to guard, like you should do that with Carl or you should force him to chase. And I think that's why, like, I think that's why they beat the Kings one time when Carl was out and, you know, Nas was in at the four and he's just faster chaser, you know? Um, and then the one time when Carl played, they did lose to the Kings. Like, I think there, there is an element of that, the degree to which an opponent can attack that one quote unquote weakness within your strength. Um, and then maybe from there, if Carl isn't able to, if he's getting scored on a lot or, and that disrupts his overall rhythm to his game, maybe you do see more of that, him forcing it offensively or trying to get it all back in, in one spot. I think a lot of that does come back to Carl, but specifically because he's been asked to play a different position and guard in a different way, which we all know. And to be fair to him, he's acquitted himself pretty well within that. Um, less so against the certain matchups that are able to, you know, puncture that, but, but broadly Carl's Carl's done a good job. And I, I just like in, in that piece, you were like talking about Carl. You said he's a max salary star who doesn't pull rank with his teammates. And I think that is yeah, Carl being pretty good defending at the four this season, that element of it. And Carl being like, I don't know, like being a good soldier sounds like placating or patronizing or anything. He just has been. He really has been that. And that's probably been one of the biggest and most encouraging developments of the season to me. And I think when you apply that to a playoff series and a matchup or whatever, you have you have a goodwill accrued both with his teammates and the coaching staff that gives you a little bit more belief that he's going to do what he's asked to do. And they're seeing, they're going to know, they're going to have the scout against the Kings or the Pelicans or whoever it is and, and have... They have a good coaching staff. You're going to know what to do. So can Carl execute on that, I think, is is the ultimate question of how far this all goes because he's, he's he has a hard job. He has, a, he has the hardest job. I, I do agree with Chris Finch in that. Obviously, he's been the one to ask to change the most. But, yeah, it's a, it's a, a difficult role. Brett. Well, this is why we work so well together. You disagree? No, no, just that you're you're an incredibly granular guy, and sometimes I have to be the granular guy. Sometimes I like to be the broad swath guy. Swath, and, it and up. now I get to be the broad swath guy because you're you're getting into like matchups. We have no idea who they're going to play, what's going to happen. But don't you think pretty much every team will try to attack all the seven playoff teams? Like, is that not how you would go in to that? I think. That's accurate until the first two games prove it isn't. I mean, I don't sure. know. I'm saying going I mean, into know, the series, though. I, believe me, I'm not arguing with your granular approach. All I'm saying is <laughs> good that in this particular instance, what I would say 
first of all, you have to acknowledge your biases. You mentioned the ESPN guys. They're riding the stars because it's the safe bet. They do not get their ass uncovered if the stars fail. They say, well, I thought Steph Curry, you bet on LeBron. Why would you bet on LeBron? He's a Hall of Famer. That's just lazy thinking. And so my bias is against it. It's not original thinking, and I want to go the other way. So there's momentum to go away from that, which is, fuck you, the Wolves will clean their clock. <laughs> that doesn't mean it is accurate. It means that's my bias. The other side of the broad swath I want to enter is that the Timberwolves won one game in the first round last year. The idea that they will win an NBA championship or even make the conference finals after winning one game out of four, that's not historically the way things happen. Teams don't arrive out of nowhere. Golden State, even in its like elevation to champion, I, I, I don't know the history, quite frankly, but I think they either won a playoff game, I mean, won a playoff series or at least won more than one game. It is a huge order to ask a team to go from not winning a playoff series since 2004 to being in the conference finals, let alone NBA finals. Um, so what I would say is I think they're going to win a first-round series because I think that they have established enough sustenance on both sides of the ball, especially on defense, to be able to vanquish whatever team they have as an opponent. I think the second round is a coin flip, and it depends on how well they disposed of those people and then all the granular reasons he just brought in, which are, by the way, I'm not, I didn't mean to demean it. It's just that that's, that's a, that's a coach's approach. And right now I'm taking a, a guy in the, you know, the, the, the nosebleed section approach to this game, which is essentially this team has a puncher's chance of getting into the NBA finals, but a puncher's chance usually means they need to get lucky and land it. And they might probably won't land it. So are they good enough to win a first round series? Absolutely. Can those four to seven games played by Jaden McDaniels, who has never been in the playoffs except for that time in Memphis for a while where he played very well, but was a very different part of that team. Um, Nas Reed and Ant, all of that will be a good thing. And all of that will be foundational. Mike Conley's back for two more years. Rudy Gobert is back for two more years. Cat has four years left. Everybody wants to talk about the salary cap, and it is horrendous. But the benefits of having a horrendous salary cap is you have a deep roster that is very talented. And if they get good playoff experience and not a gentleman sweep at the hands of the Nuggets last year, if they play really good basketball in the postseason and learn lessons and win 50-plus games, I'll take it. Thank you for the Thank question. Clap it up. I like how everyone's actually sitting in the chair. This is cool. This is cool. 
So you were talking about the horrendous cap situation. Um, so I kind of have a two-parter that kind of deals with that. So Kyle Anderson has looked a lot better as of late. A um, couple of games going into the All-Star break, he started to look a little bit more like himself from last year. Um, how much of that sort of resurgence that we have kind of seen do you guys buy? Um, and as a follow-up to that, how do you think that affects the way that the Wolves and the lead, the league at large values him in terms of what kind of a contract he might get next year? Yeah, I think it's a, I think that's a really good question. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I went to a concert last week, and the whole process of knowing where to go to get the tickets, it was stressful because the last time I went to a concert, it was a mess trying to get the tickets from the third-party website onto my phone. But with the Game Time app, I felt confident even last minute that I purchased my tickets at a fair rate, and that's because of their best price guarantee. And then with the app, it was easy to just use my phone and get into the concert I paid for, no confusion. So if you're looking for tickets to a Lynx game, a Twins game, or a concert this summer, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy, so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, so no need to dig through your emails and click on a link here or there. You can just snag tickets without stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Dane Moore for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code Dane Moore, all one word, for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What, what stood out to me in Portland last week was Finch referenced multiple times the trade deadline passing in relation to Kyle Anderson. And obviously the implication there is that was messing with Kyle's head, right? Is he, is he a part of this? And then kind of understanding if he isn't a part of it, that it's his fault, you know, that's hard. Like it's, it's his fault because he wasn't, he hasn't been doing this season, what he did a season ago. And, and I, it, it made me kind of reflect on the whole Kyle experience of this year. And, he doesn't seem like the type of person who would press, but I do think he has been pressing, you know, for after, you know, you just come into the season, you don't have confidence in the three point shot. But you're like, you know, and I'm going to, I'm Kyle Anderson. I'm going to fidget my way to the basket and figure it out. And that wasn't working. 
and then so you kind of get in this stuck place where you're like, all right, do I need to? I need to start shooting threes. Okay, I can't. I'm not making them. You know, even in practice. And and I think he just sort of hit. Then the trade deadline comes, and he he just hit all of these walls. And I think what's really big for him is the trade deadline has passed, and Finch's confidence in him has not wavered. I I don't think it's it's wavered at any point. We've asked numerous times about Anderson. And like one time you did, and he basically said, F you like no more, no more Kyle Anderson conversation. We're going to play him. We're going to, we believe in it. He's not a shooter. We're going to do it. And so I think like a bold prediction for the rest of the season is that Kyle Anderson looks a lot more like last year's version of himself. And, and I know so many people are, are frustrated and they remember like the things that Kyle doesn't do well, right. They glare. And and then and they glare in the numbers too, but we forget about the defense, you know, and and the value of that. And to my point on the Carl Anthony Towns element of being attacked, like the Wolves always have a defensive pivot off of Carl into Kyle Anderson. Now you're not gonna you're not gonna want to cut Cat's minutes down to twenty or something like that, but I think we sleep on the value of being able to plug Kyle Anderson in at the four and do everything defensively that cat sometimes can't do. And yeah, I, I kind of think he is a, a pivot point for, for the rest of the season and how that plays out in the final 27 games and whatever happens in the playoffs determines, you know, one, what his market value is because yeah, I think his market value around the league is depressed in terms of what teams would sign him for this off season. But it also, if he does have the, a really strong run to close the season, he becomes more of a necessity. You feel, if you're Tim Conley and Chris Finch, more of a necessity to bring back. And then you can start having that conversation of like, all right, we'll give you seven, eight million dollars, even though that comes with an extra twenty two million or whatever in luxury tax. If Kyle Anderson doesn't look a lot better. I would understand passing on that for, for next season. Right. And, and again, that it comes down to weird part. We're not talking about cap space or anything like that. We're talking about the owner's money and that's always a, a weird thing, but I would understand it. If Kyle Anderson is kind of continues to be who he was for the rest of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not back logically, just given the money. And then, and then at the same time, I think he'd probably go to a contender and be pretty good. On, on that team uh, next season. Did you already answer? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, first of all, there's the locker room element. Uh, Rudy Gobert punching him was not a mistake. I mean, Kyle Anderson will tell you when you're fucking up. And, and that's value. That's, that's a valuable trait. Um, not a ton of those on the team. Right. Um, there is also his defense, which, um, with the possible exception of Rudy Gobert and including Jaden McDaniels in the conversation, I would say that Slomo has been the best on ball defender on this team thus far this season. He Better has. Than yes. Simply because he goes two through four. Yeah, I was going to say. And I, I think that Nikhil, most of the time, if I'm 
two small three, I prefer Nikhil. But having that two through four really makes him the best. I mean, I think the best matchup for Zion is is Kyle Anderson. And I think the best matchup for a lot of players is Kyle Anderson. I know you guys have mentioned that he's a really good matchup against like Luka Doncic as well. Exactly. Yes. I mean, he's just, well, he's got a phenomenal wingspan and he stays down on up fakes. It sounds like a simple thing. It's not. Up fakes, if somebody is really, really good at shooting and they look like they're going up and they're going to put one in your face, you have this incredible desire to contest that shot. So staying down goes, on up fakes. I can't fakes, even jump that high, so I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but staying down on up fakes is incredibly important. So bottom line, great in the locker room, superb defender. Um, if we're looking at sustainable skills, even before this eye surgery thing, which he doesn't want to talk about, which means that it's a factor. Um if he if it wasn't a factor, he'd say it has nothing to do with my eyes. But it does because he doesn't want to talk about it. Um he has been up and down in his career from distance. You know, he's had terrible seasons from long range. He shot over 40% last year. It was a huge boon, and it really helped the other aspects of his game. Now everybody sees it. Swing, swing, swing. Kyle Anderson's wide open. He takes a hit, you know, one of his usual slow-mo dribbles very slowly into the paint. And you've got to deal with the fact that what he's trying to figure out with his enormous galaxy brain is how to draw the foul or bring people to him to dish and assist. And consequently, his foul shots are way up, his assists are up, and his turnovers are up. And his shooting is down. Um, that's not sustainable in the playoffs. That's exactly the kind of thing we were just talking about which is that you pick at a scab. They're not going to guard him at all. It's there. They're not going to guard him at all. I mean, it is. They are going to make Kyle Anderson beat you with open shots, and I'm not totally convinced that can happen. So it's the classic thing of what you give up, what you don't give up. If a if a opponent, to Dane's point, which is a very good one, by the way, if Cat is getting wiped out by his matchup, slow-mo can patch that damn quick. Even just for like, it is important for Carl to. Sometimes it helps when you, you just take him out three minutes earlier than he normally would. Right. You know, I mean, I've seen that so many times. Just like, he he it's fatigue, he's right? Yeah, you fatigue know, and mental fatigue, right? Yeah, Physical and calm it down, get back into the game. That you have a Kyle Anderson to be able to do that. But to I Dane's point, also, I will be shocked if Kyle Anderson is back next year. And if he is, it's because Chris Finch is laid down in front of the railroad tracks. It's the only way it happens because logic says no. Logic says you cannot add tens of millions of dollars for your eighth man who is a deficiency in crucial aspects of the game, despite all the great things he does in other aspects of the game. So for slow-mo fans, and I count myself as an ardent one, I'm enjoying these games. And I think he will, to Dane's point again, go, whoever signs him will get a bargain and a great player. And Much like the Wolves did last year. Right. Yeah. 
Thank you for the question. Appreciate it. All right. Yeah. I like how we're doing the clapping. This is cool. <laughs> All right. Other question. All right. So there was a lot of talk around the All-Star break about who will be the next face of the league. You know, they asked LeBron this question, a lot of the talking heads, and LeBron and it seems like everyone else had Ant near the top of that list or at the top of that list because of, you know, the charisma and obviously the stardom that we already see. And I just wanted to kind of get your guys' thoughts on that and just kind of where kind of where he needs to get to to maybe, you know, become the face of the league, the next face of the league. And also just kind of his potential to maybe just impact culture um, here, but also nationally. Like, it's just kind of crazy to think about. But, um, you know, you go to L.A., you see all, all these Kobe murals. And obviously, I mean, you, you see the legacy that MJ has. And just kind of just put that into perspective and maybe just kind of where, you know, his journey up to this point and maybe the potential that he has. Yeah, I think for me, like, my first reaction to that is like, I'm grateful that that's a possibility and find myself fortunate to be able to cover that. You know, it's a, it's a cool thing because it is bigger than basketball. Right. And um, I think if he does take that path or just whatever path he takes, it's, it's already interesting to think about him. Finch was hired three years ago today to think about who Ant was three years ago today to what I perceive him to be now is already a, I mean, we could, we could run through a million different things and they're not all basketball things, which is again, is selfishly cool. And I think for all of us here, it's really cool that he plays for this local team and we get front row seats uh, to, to see what that is. I don't really have my head, wrapped around what all goes into that um to to finding that ascension i obviously like mj is just way too high of a bar for anyone you know of an ask or kobe you know asking for that type of impact and the reality of the situation is that type of impact just doesn't come without the winning like really really winning and probably starting now you know and to brit's point or everyone knows this from the past two seasons he's elevated to the moment and we should have a confidence in his ability to elevate to the moment in the playoffs and that's what faces of the league or franchises franchises do i think he's got a lot that he needs to get better at before that but he is 22 and when we're when we're talking about this it's like an implication that he will be you know could be the face of the league or that like now and i don't think that's like you didn't put that on Kobe at 22. You know, at, at, when Kobe was 22, they did win the championship. And that was kind of like his coming out party. But he was number two on that team, clearly, right? And, I mean, was MJ a rookie when he was 22, right? Like, I always have to remind myself about that with Ant, that we are a long ways away from whatever it is or is not that he is going to become. And my, my whole thought is... I can't wrap my head around it. I'm just going to enjoy it that enjoy it while he's here because that's no guarantee, man. I think we sleep a lot on the fact that he signed a five-year contract, no player options last season. That was not going to be the case. 
Like he he changed agencies. He did his agents his previous agency did not want him to be here long term or was not confident in the idea that it is a major win that Anthony Edwards is going to take that first step of being a face of the franchise in Minnesota because he is under contract for at least the next five seasons after this one. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you saw that Britt happen with, with KG. I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to think about it or, or know how much to care about it. I guess. I think I'll use my age card on this. Not so much on KG, but as a, in my grumpy old man mode, which is uh Wilt Chamberlain. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially. First of all, I think you cover the waterfront on the answer, the, 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 the right answer in terms of he's done so much, he's done this, there's a lot of things to cherish him for, and I believe in that. Um, what I love about Ant is that, um, you know, people talk about team chemistry. He's an alchemist. He basically turns things that aren't supposed to be golden into gold. Um, because he calls out his teammates as better than they are. Um, he wants to deflect things and he does it with such a plain spoken naivete and childlike innocence to what he does that uh, what I wrote in a the piece I wrote a couple of weeks ago is that Ann is chronologically age 22, but he is also the best ast ast attributes of people age five and age 39, which is 17 years either side of 22. And that's what I like about Ann is he, he has a maturity in some ways and a childlike innocence in some ways, and he's 22 in some ways. And all that is wonderful. Where the grumpy old man in me comes in is the idea that there is a face of the franchise. I mean, face of the NBA, uh, face of the franchise that actually be more realistic. But a face of the NBA will have everything to do with how good Ann is coached, how good his teammates are, and how many rings he stacks. Because if he doesn't, if there are no rings, there will be no face of the NBA. So it's kind of beyond Ann's control. Again, it's one of those things that if cable television was cut in two thirds by the time of things I had to deal with, this question wouldn't even be raised because it's a theoretical question that has no right or wrong answer, which means that everybody can have an opinion. And regardless of how smart or dumb it is, it will be listened to and thought about, which is all they create. So who cares if and <laughs> is the face of the NBA or not. Can Ant bring a ring to the Minnesota Timberwolves? That's the question I want answered. Can Ant be a player that grows in his scope in terms of his Q quotient or anything else at the same time retaining that five-year-old crystallization that makes him a special human being and makes him beloved by his teammates while he's growing as a player who is getting more consistent on defense and better on offense and shedding some of this ref baiting stuff 
and still finishing at the rim. These are the types of things that I want to know about Ant in the future. Because if those questions are answered in the right way, then people will debate the same talking heads who are lazily throwing this out in the first place, will debate whether it is, in fact, Ant or some other 22-year-old guy six years from now, while Ant is 28, who is the real face of the franchise, for the NBA. So, you know, um, I lose patience with theoretical arguments. I, I, I think there's element of what will get ant there is the proper surroundings is what you're saying and like the veteran leader thing baton has kind of been passed around from his rookie year was ricky rubio pat bev the second year and then these last two years it's been mike conley and to the extent that i know ant i think that's a really valuable thing to him and i think there's a value in it being the same guy Right. And and after I, you know, rattled through like spreadsheets and stuff, thinking about the Mike Conley signing, I thought about that. And the fact that Mike Conley will be there to like usher in Ant from like NBA puberty into adulthood. I think that's I think that's an important thing in achieving this ambiguous label that whatever whatever it is uh, or isn't so although i hadn't thought of it that way pat bev and mike conley is a really cool one-two combo for a mentorship and ricky yeah and ricky right yeah, all in all in their yep. own pretty he's living right ways. yeah right all right well take it thank you for the question take another one yeah don't forget the clapping <laughs> All right. First off, I want Hang to hang on for a second. Has anybody else had a needs a first question? Dude, we, he, you the guy first? No, no we just talked no. to him before. <laughs> the show come started. on, come on, Britt. I was kidding. Um, I wanted to thank you guys and shout out you guys for doing a forum like this. I think this is a value to asset. Now you got to praise me on top of all the fan base. Yeah, like I, I just think there's not a lot of things that do. So I'm talking loud too. Um that do something like this. So it's really cool. You guys are willing to do this. And I know a lot of us really value that. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, second. Oh. Clapping guys back. <laughs> Shouts out church world league team. Old bro stinks, obviously. And then my question is, uh, last year we had someone kind of blossom or come out for around the playoff time into the playoff time. And I think this is a cool time frame to talk about that, but like, who would be last year was Nikhil Alexander Walker. He really started shooting well. He started really playing as a part of the team. He was, I think, he was the guy that kind of surprised people in the playoffs last year. Who, in your opinion, going into what we know right now, is your best bet on who that will be for the Timberwolves in this playoff season? You want to take that first? Sure. Uh, only because he runs hot and cold, and when he's hot, he's scalding. I would say Nas Reed. Yeah. Um. If 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 the planets align and Nas has no control over this, none of us have any control over this. There are times when players find their game. But I will tell you, if Nas finds his game at the same time that the playoffs are going on, um, we've all seen Nas on a heater. We've all seen Nas getting the ball on the run. Jim Pete has begun to pick up on it. Um, Nas not even off the dribble, off the sprint, where he occasionally puts the ball on the floor at just the right time, long enough to get from the 
arc to the basket is a joy. Uh, Nas with his shrug threes is, you know, another joy. Uh, Nas in the middle of a transition break, which is actually an underrated quality of Nas's, he fosters the break as much as he starts or finishes it. Um, all of those things. Uh, I still think his defense, um, if he's used in the right way, he's actually, I think, in some ways become a better mid-range to perimeter defender than he has been a post defender. That's um, just a fact. And, and so that's a unique quality that if, you know, we, somebody I was talking to before the thing, we talked about the mid-range and how mid-range teams kill the Wolves. Well, Nas is one of the better mid-range defenders on guys who, you know, like an Ingram or, uh, you know, uh, even an Embiid to some extent. But the point being that um, if Nas has done a good job defending the mid-range and is in his bag, he's going to become a meme in a big, big way come playoff time. And I think, too, Nas is going to play more in the playoffs. Like, I don't... When they shorten the bench. Yeah, I think they're going to shorten the rotation at some point. I, I've always been a big believer with Nas that uh, he needs extended time to catch a rhythm. Like, and I remember doing it at the beginning of the season. The the Nas numbers, where when he was at the four next to Cat or Rudy, were always terrible. And I being as someone who is interested and wanted to have that happen, I was always finding excuses for why that didn't work. And, and I think a big part of it is it was always like, all right, Nas would get like two minutes here next to Rudy, two minutes there next to Cat. What's happened this season is he plays his extended nine, 10, 11 minute stretch, almost all next at the four next to another, another center. And, and in that, catches a rhythm and the numbers. I mean, last year, Nas and Rudy were minus 12.1 net rating was like one of the, wor the worst on the team of any two man pairing that played whatever X amount of minutes, the best two man pairing thus far in terms of net rating this season is not a Nas and Rudy. And it's like plus 17 something. Right. And I really believe, I mean, some of that obviously is him acclimating to playing the four and understanding it better and all that. I think a ton of it is to letting him, catch a rhythm and, and get used to it and go longer. It's part of the reason why down the road, I, I don't think he's one of the players who like flattens off at this level that he's at. So if he becomes a starter at some point in his career, I do think he gets better. And it, again, just, just related to, to rhythm there. So when the playoffs come, I think Nas is going to play more. They're not going to bench him. They're not going to do any of that sort of stuff. They're going to let him go, and I think he's going to be successful. The name I thought of, the two names I thought of were Nas and then also Jaden McDaniels. Like, Jaden hasn't had a bad year. Jaden McDaniels hasn't had, uh, oh, my God, we just signed this dude to a hundred-plus-million-dollar contract year, right? And it stood out to me at practice today what, what Finch said about him is, like, a point of emphasis for the rest of the season is getting Jaden to be more consistent. He was like, we'd have a good, one of those high impact Jaden games at the beginning of the year, maybe one in every three games. He goes, it's turned up to like two in every three games. Jaden's having that type of good game. He goes, and now the goal is to get it closer to every night. And I think he was being charitable, by the way. 
Yeah, I do, well, I, I do too. I mean, but, but I, I, I think that the goal was to get him up to two out of three. Sure, which is still very good. But the the, the idea that I, I like the idea that it it has been turning up, and I think it can turn further, right? Right. And and to what what the the, the first name that came to my mind when you said the Nikhil thing, where it's like all of a sudden it's twice as good, yeah. like. I'm not sure Nas can be twice as good as he's been. Like, I think Jaden could be the, these last 25 games of this season be like, whoa. And, and again, maybe that filters into the, he's doing that. Now they're a top five offense, right? He's kind of an external link offensively to cat or ant there. I think that's who I would choose is, is Jaden as the, the most likely one to be like, wow, that was a lot better post all-star break. Uh, than it was pre-All-Star break. Thank you for the question. And, and against certain matchups, I would say that um, you got to have Ant and Nas on the floor at the same time. For sure. I mean, that, that, Iowa plus, Ants, that plus minus is huge. And if you have like a Dallas, for example, or some team that can handle either one of them really one-on-one. Um, That's how they pummel teams, right? Those those are the But those are the kinds of playoff things on which series turn. If, yes. if if Ant and Nas are on the floor for like 20 minutes and they're outscoring the team by 12 points, mm-hmm. which I I regard as almost a given, quite mm-hmm. frankly, against a team like Dallas. Right. Again, that's Cat's ego you're dealing with there. Right. But um, anyway, we'll take uh, two more questions here and then we'll 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 wrap it up. Do you want to do the last one and kind of pump it? Yep. All right. I'll uh, keep this one quick. Uh, for a postseason success. How important is it that Ant develops a uh, shot that's reliable for late in the game situations when the whistle gets tighter? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think um, we've talked about this a little bit before on the pod. Like the players, whatever. I don't know if we were ranking MVP candidates, there would be like fifteen players who are ahead of Ant right this season. And I think if you looked at every one of those players, if we went through them all, we could be like, this is Shea Gilgis-Alexander's spot. This is what Kawhi Leonard does here. This is what Nikola Jokic does here. There's not yet a repetition to what Ant's spots are, right? And I think whether it's this season or the next three, like we were talking about before, there's going to be a consistency to in action or a move probably from the mid range, which is just like butter every time you can get to it and do it. That's why, I mean, that started with Shea last year, I think. And, and all of a sudden it's like, we can go to that whenever we want and we can get a good, that possession can end well. Right. And, and ant can do stupendous things, but he can't really do anything consistently yet. And, and I think that's, if and when that ever happens, that's when we start flipping the switch into like, okay, superstar, okay, MVP. Like that is the, that is the thing. And I, again, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that happens this season. Um, but I think it's the, it, it might playoff wise, it might be the biggest key to, to something that can pull you out of the times in which are going to certainly happen in the playoffs, particularly on offense where this team just gets stagnant and sticky as we've seen a bunch of times this year. Can Ant be the answer to that? And I really, I mean, it was Portland, but I feel like he did that, was doing that right before the break. And 
And if he can, yeah, if he can do that, that to me, that's a whole nother level of like, you break it down, man. Every team that doesn't have a star player sucks in the last five seconds of the shot clock. The teams that are great at it are the teams that have players who can be efficient when there's not a lot of time uh, to be efficient. I think Ants moved that a little bit. There's still, when we talk about like room to grow, I, I think Ant has a lot there. I would argue that there's two options for that. I would argue that the one he chooses that is a third option is not the best, uh, which is his back-to-the-basket, do-si-do, turnaround banker from the right slot. All all of the things things are his spots are not good. That's basically a bad shot. But I will tell you that I would regard two of his shots in his arsenal as money especially in the playoffs when he's laser-focused and generally tends to elevate his game. And one is the walk-up three, and the other one is the left-hander off the glass through traffic. I think both of those, even in the playoffs, he's going to get the whistle or finish well on a drive with his left hand off the glass. And I think the walk-up three is going to be something that teams will learn to fear in the postseason. And I feel like both of those things open up the step back three. They get it. They get him the rhythm to have the confidence to just go and take that and, and, and do it consistently. And that's when Ant breaks you. Those are the 16 point quarters. You know, um, he, he has that ability. Obviously, we've seen it plenty of times, but I'm not sure he like internally knows. With a timeliness, when to push all of those buttons. Again, if we would watch watch the Toronto game, game one of the season, compared to the last five games, it's already it's already grown, and there, there's already more and more of that. So, yeah, let's see twenty seven more games in a playoff series of of what that all you know what all materializes there. I'm 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 really interested to see Ant in the playoffs, how much he can do, and if they don't ultimately win the championship how he reacts to that. Like, I think there is, there is a chance that, and maybe it's even is the conference finals. So this is the conference finals. And everybody would be like, that's awesome. Ant will not think that's awesome. And, and could inspire change. I, I think that next, next level for Ant probably comes after losing in, in the playoffs. And, and if that happens and that all comes together, like, yeah, I'm, that's a that, that that then is a top five player in the league right. for, for sure. Thank you for the question. Do you have a question or do you? This I, is Dan have, Herman, the owner of Falling Knife Brewing. I have, yeah, I have, let's hear it for Dan. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, in terms of the guy that was falsely accused of asking two questions, uh, we wouldn't do forums like this if you didn't show up. So we really appreciate you coming out here and giving us the opportunity to have these conversations, have moments like this coming out for game days. I mean, you know, we, he's talked about this a little bit, but being here on a Saturday away game, I mean, it's it's chaotic in here and so fun to be a part of it. And we definitely never cross 149 people, which is our <laughs> fire capacity. But um, my, my two questions, uh, one is very serious, and we're trying to get you on record for this. Of the f- remaining 27 games, what do you think they come out with? 17 games at home, right? 
Yeah, ten, and ten on the road. And ten on the road. Actually, Tom, your colleague, asked us both about this independently. We both had the same answer. Seventeen and ten. Which is fifty-six wins. I didn't uh, think very hard about it, but <laughs> well, you, you shouldn't think very hard about it because it's a random question with a deserves a random answer. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, let, let, okay, let's let's think about it. You you had all the details of it, so we know. So there's seven back to backs, the majority of which I think are at home. That's not the way to think. But you hate the back to backs. <laughs> How many games will they win against Charlotte? How many wins will they win against Boston? It's, it happens to be the same. You know, I mean, they 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 beat the Clippers twice. Did you and I think that was going to happen? Mm-mm. I mean. The beauty of basketball is you don't know what's going to happen. If you win 60% of your games, it's really good. If you win 40% of your games, you think you have some hope. That isn't that much of a difference. And the way things go, the playoffs are a little bit more reliable. But we don't know who's going to be hurt. We don't know who's you know on the road or back-to-back. It may be that if you are on a back-to-back, but the team you're playing that night is without their two best players, it's a lot better matchup than the front of that back-to-back where the team is hot and coming in rested. Nobody knows what that is right now. I mean, it is fun to speculate about it. I I, I feel like I've spent most of this podcast uh, being an old man grouch about things that uh, are, what if this happens? Well, I mean... Yeah, there's 75 factors that go into that. Um, I don't know 74 of them. So on the basis of the one I do know, I'll say 17 and 10. (laughs) Um, I I do just want to say the end of the episode for those of the people who are listening at home. And again, thank you all for for, for coming out here. Um, Doing what I'm doing independently uh not only requires those of you who who listen all the time um that that allows me to do this as a job so i'm i'm thankful for that and because so many of you listen um businesses like falling knife uh are willing to to partner with us and that makes that makes this possible um it it it, it really does and, and to the extent that uh, you guys come out to these and, I mean, unfortunately, uh, we're at the games in, in the playoffs, but so I can't be here, but it looks so cool and, and fun to, to be here for the playoffs. They had a TV truck out there, like, one of the big, I don't know, how would you describe it, Dan? It's a big fucking TV. Yeah, yeah, big, big, yeah. Um, and... And and uh, as somebody who's who's from here, and Dan would you know send me pictures or videos from those playoff games, or just you know, it's not just Saturday nights. I mean, there's people here any you know any road or any game uh, watching it. And um, you know, I got into this because I wanted to work in in basketball, but I'm also from here. And one of the coolest things to me, Britt, about this season is. Uh, the people from here having something that's actually worth watching and worth listening to. Like, I appreciate all of you like listening to podcast episodes where you spent like 27 minutes talking about Jordan McLaughlin's future or something like that. But, uh, that, that we have, that we have the playoffs and this to talk about. I'm, I'm just, 
I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that you are all getting that experience. And uh, yeah, it, it makes this all possible. So thank you very much. Thank you to Falling Knife Brewing Company. Uh, thank you uh, for all of you who uh, who came out tonight. We're gonna we're gonna stay here and and hang out uh, a little bit. If you have any other, you want to sit down at our <laughs> special little chair and ask us a question. Come on up. Uh, we're normal. Dane, Brit, Brit Dane, Whites, Dane, I don't. I, I have an irreverent uh, one. But yes, go Dan. Of the three uh, players that are expecting children, who is the most likely to name their kid Brit? Name Brit, what's the name? Brit. Brit. <laughs> probably Rudy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> No, that might be Carl if that time ever comes. But. Hey, I just want to say to finish it off, um, I make it a point in my life not to get paid to say what I think. Uh, and these guys aren't paying me to say this, but I think that the folks at Falling Knife have been nothing but great to us. They have great beer. They have a good spot here. I enjoy talking basketball with them. They're real fans. Hats off to them. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you very much. And thank you to all you guys who came out again. Uh, we'll be hanging out. 27-0 NBA Finals. Let's do it. Let's go. He's Brit. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.